Welcome back to the pod. Um, it seems like it's been a while, but it hasn't really. So um, I'm going to start as I usually do with some reach outs that I've had over the last sort of week, week and a half or so. A couple of people want me to start the pod every time to score myself out of 10 in terms of how I'm feeling. Now, I know I did that last time and I was a three or a four, I think, I think a four. So with that in mind and with that in spirit, I will score myself a seven or an eight today. And eight today, it's, it's just before five o'clock. Again, garage is the location. It's cold, it's horrible, it's dark outside, but I'm feeling good and, um, and I'm gonna score myself an eight out of 10. So there you go for everybody that wants to know. Some really, really important reach outs and thank yous from the last sort of week and a half. Some people that have reached out via email, via phone calls, uh, WhatsApp, social media, and I've really, really enjoyed engaging with some of you guys. So please keep it going. A couple of shout outs for uh, Dave, who's really, really enjoying the pod and wants to know a little bit more about how we started the business and how we dealt with knockbacks and times that we weren't selling, which actually we're going to talk about in a little bit of detail today. Um, also some great uh, feedback and a nice email from Katie, who who spoke about her valuing some of the information from the previous pods um, around time away from work, focusing on family and life rather than her career, uh, trusting your gut when making decisions and, and harnessing people's inner ability and leading from the front. So that's really, really good information there and some some great feedback. Jason as well, really interested in overcoming setbacks and and sort of complimented on the story about my hand, which was, which was great. And that sort of adaptation was really interesting. Some really good feedback as well from Jono. Jono, interestingly enough, wants to understand a little bit more about the Guru story. So somebody that doesn't know Guru, doesn't know what it's about and doesn't really understand that journey yet. So um, part of the pod today is I'm going to take you through what that story and what that journey looks like, the hows, the whens, the wheres, the whys, and and creating that culture and why that's important. Um, also, I had a great call in the last sort of week and a half with, with James. James is somebody that I used to play football with. Haven't spoke to him in about 17 years. He's running his own business now, doing really well. Got his family. He's been enjoying some holidays recently in some pretty exotic locations, which was which was really nice to hear. Um, and we sort of spoke about coaching, leading through coaching, culture, and again, juggling family and work personal life together whilst running a business. So that was really, really interesting. And across all those conversations, I probably took 10 to 15 pages of notes, which was which was great. And it was really good to connect with different people in different ways that I haven't spoken to in a long time. And also some people that I haven't actually spoken to before, which was really interesting and great. So listen, that's the, the reach outs done. Um, without further ado, I'm going to get on with episode four of The Silent Entrepreneur by me, Aaron Curtin. So the first thing on my notes, uh, just turning page, is um, a couple of things that I've wrote down are dreams coming true and the importance of telling your story. And the reason why these are on the page is after exchanging some Insta messages with a chap called Jono, um, who I mentioned in the first part, thought that it would be beneficial for people that didn't know about me or didn't know about Guru and what we do to kind of understand that journey, which would help people understand maybe the podcast a bit more. So some great feedback and stuff that I've taken, absolutely taken on board. And I think it is important. And when I started to think about the importance of telling your story, and I started thinking about my own personal story, and when I've aligned with other people in the past, other leaders in the past, and get inspired by their story and start talking to customers and suppliers and people potentially looking at joining Guru about the business's story, what we've done so far and what we're looking to do and achieve and the difference we're looking to make. It is incredibly inspiring. And and when I actually look back, you know, I'm not going to lie to you, you know, I, I wasn't seven, eight years old, um, like many people who set up a lemonade stand at their street and was selling this and selling that. I was pretty 
in, industrial industrious sorry you know in, in my youth I always wanted to know that I want I wanted to be successful I wanted to do something and I had that energy to go and get it but I didn't really know what I wanted to do um, and I don't really I don't think I really knew I wanted to run my own business probably until my early 20s and I didn't really start thinking about the possibility of doing it probably until my mid-20s I would say so, you know, my history was was in cold calling and, and, and door-to-door sales in my early years. I then had a couple of years working for a large bank um, and experience in the financial sector. I then had a little stint in, in recruitment, which was, which was quite enjoyable and interesting. And I found that I could use a lot of my skills from my door knocking and my cold calling days in that particular role, which was good. And, and then I started in telecoms and I ended up being in, in telecoms for a business for nine years, about nine, nine and a half years. And after going through various different leadership promotions and targets being hit and a lot of learning and a lot of experience, some good, some bad, that sort of nine, nine and a half years developed my love for the telecoms industry and communications and gave me the platform where you'd start learning more about business, more about people, more about building teams, more about learning and experience in different situations. So after going through from a telesales agent up to a customer services director, a sales director, towards the end that business was then sold and I stuck around for a year 18 months more or less not for me really just to make sure that the new business looked after the people that were employed in the old business and when that was when that was completed and done it was the time really for me to to step out and get some experience doing things myself so I had a short stint at another business in Milton Keynes for a few months um, and then moved into into setting up uh, guru technology which which came with sort of six or seven months of research and what we what we really wanted to do was you know from having 10 years at that point 10 11 years in the industry we found that the customer was no longer the priority in the majority of cases and I'm being general here and I'm being I'm generalizing you know there's hundreds and hundreds of businesses that are in this telecoms industry a large amount of those businesses are very credible and they do a really really good job for their customers um, but there is also a proportion of, cust- of of businesses that do what we do as there is with any industry I would expect that are a bit spurious and they're doing things they shouldn't be and they're not holding their people their staff and their customers and suppliers you know, in high regard. So we wanted to make sure we wanted to come in and not just be another telecoms company. Um, we wanted to come in, in, come in and move that power shift back from your big players like your BTs and your Vodafones and move that flexibility and service and power back to the customer. I mean, we're in 2022 soon and we're, you know, when we started the business was, was, was about two and a half years ago. So, you know, even then, um, the amount of horror stories that you hear around businesses not looking after people, businesses not putting the customer first, businesses not looking after what they need to and what's important and just looking after themselves. Um, we even get it now. There's, 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 there's tons of businesses doing it. And our, you know, goal really was to create a business that moved that power back to the customer that had a fresh, unique set of products that was delivered and serviced in a very proactive, a very flexible and a very simple and efficient way. And that was the the dream really, which was to try and give telecoms a bit of a better name again, because it's always been looked at, I mean, certainly in my 10, 11 years, always been looked at as an industry full of cowboys. And, you know, Guru isn't a cowboy. We make it, we make our decisions based on our people and our customer. And we try and do the right thing as many times as we can. And we live and die by that. Even if it costs us money or time or extra energy or we have to change things, we'll always make that decision with the best, the best with the customer in mind. So we at the start understood and, and, and wrote down on my dining room table all the issues that the industry had, the mis selling, the, the power shift, the, the limited product set the poor service levels, the lack of flexibility, and the fact that the only people that really, really win in this industry are the big players and the big networks, not the small companies and not the customer. So we wrote down basically on a sheet of paper what all the issues were and why telecoms was was poor at that time. And then rather than actually trying to fix those issues, we challenged ourselves a bit more and decided to look at products and services and ways of contracting our customers and ways of doing things and ways of servicing our customers that not only fixed the problem, but actually we could create those issues into USPs for our business. So we took it a step further. Rather than fixing the issue, 
We wanted to champion those elements and challenge other businesses in this industry to do the same. And the idea was, and the idea still is, is to revolutionize this industry and to do things that other people are not doing in a way that other people are not doing it in the hope that on the masses, we will keep evolving as a business and we will we will always be at the forefront of, of the evolutionary chain in this industry. But other people will also have to follow suit because that is then the standard. We need to set the standard of customer management. We need to set the standard of product, flexibility, what that looks like to a client, service levels, all of those things. So that was kind of the idea really. And, and over and above that, we wanted to do it in a way that we had fun. We wanted to do it by building a brand that we can be proud of. We wanted to do it by building a unique brand, a different brand, and being unique and different in the industry. We wanted a personable brand. We wanted a brand that looked friendly, that was you know, aimed probably at the small to medium business marketplace. So that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to create a company that embodied a culture of morals, people-oriented culture, a DNA that would survive the test of time, a DNA that doesn't just sit on a wall on a poster to be looked at every now and again and referenced, a DNA that is lived and died every single time in that company every single day. And every time we make a decision, we're making it subconsciously based on the company DNA and the ethics around looking after a customer properly. Upon the setup of the business, a business, a business, a wholesale business like ours, you know, you you would normally need hundreds of thousands of pounds to go and set that up properly and and make a good go of it. Uh, we didn't have that money at the time, so we took a very very modest loan from my brother, um, and I'll always be grateful for for his faith in us starting this business because without him putting the faith into putting a bit of money up at the start, um, we just wouldn't have been able to start and we wouldn't have been able to do it. So you know. Big kudos to to Jamie in helping us get off the line there. And also at the start, there was assistance from my other my other um, family member, Pip, my sister, my older sister. She also got us going with with some work at the start, which we you know just simply without those two family members, we just wouldn't have been able to get going properly. So you know, really, really, really appreciate you guys doing that. If you are going to listen to the podcast, um, but at the start, in the first sort of three to six months, we were absolutely selling to survive. We we didn't have the systems and processes. We didn't have the the supplier relationships in place properly. We were embarking on a journey of something we've never done. We were super, super excited. We knew we were onto a winner. We knew we had confidence in ourselves, but we didn't really know everything. We needed to learn about finance. We needed to learn about gelling you know, a business together, growing a business, marketing, all these different things. And we needed to do it ASAP because, you know, we've got bills to pay at the end of the month and we don't have any income coming in to go and pay them. We need to pay ourselves, but we don't have any income guaranteed. So really for the first few months, we were we were selling to survive. It was 16 hour days. It was six to seven day weeks. It was, um, you know, I was doing bill runs between one and four, twice a, uh, twice a month, one and four a.m. We were servicing customers, processing deals out of hours. We were selling in the day. We were really looking at maximizing our time between nine and five to try and speak to as many people as possible and try and engage customers with our solutions from a from a cold call all the way up to a face-to-face meeting, a video, and and, 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 and further on from there. You know, we've we've gone. The business has gone from one or two heads to to twelve, thirteen heads through COVID, and you know, really starting to pick up uh, ahead of steam now. You know, we're we're, we're going to be turning over for for two thousand and twenty one when December closes this year. We will turn over between January this year and December this year about one point two million pound, which which is four times the turnover of our first trading year, which was just over three hundred thousand. So you know we're going in the right direction, but more 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 importantly than than some of the financials, we're actually making a difference to people, and that is the reason why we started the business to make a difference to our customers, to move the power shift away from big companies to smaller, to, to, to the, back to the customer and to deliver a more agile solution and service to everybody. And some of the things, you know, that we talked about in a previous podcast that I'm most proud about are actually customer achievements, not deal sizes and, and acquisitions of deals, but actually some of the solutions that we know have made a difference to people's companies that have helped them get through COVID and help them be profitable. And we, we specialize in helping businesses go through that te- technology steep learning curve, you know, whether it be integrations with CRMs, whether it be phone systems, connectivity, mobiles, insurance, 
IT support, all these services that we offer that are all billed and all looked after by Guru and all served in-house. All these things are vital in every single business on this earth in order to, to be able to get right for that business to be successful. So that's what we do. And as we go, we are we are disrupting. Um, we're disrupting other telecoms companies. There's, you know, I've had countless calls with, with, with different owners where they don't really like what we're doing because it's putting pressure on their business. It's challenging the status quo. But actually, that's quite a compliment because we've been going for two and a half years and, you know, we'd never run a business before. Got a lot of experience in the industry, but we've never run a business before. And in in going through a very steep growth over the last sort of 12 to 18 months, through a very, very tough period in COVID that we're never, ever going to experience, you know, potentially never going to experience again, change, immediate change like that. You know, it is a challenging period and we, we've survived, not only survived through that period, but we've actually thrived through that period and we've grown through that period. And at no point that, you know, during that period did we put anybody on furlough. There was no jobs at risk. You know, we worked through that period. We adapted. We worked hard. We kept together and we kept making decisions as part of our DNA of our company and we moved the business forward. And now we've got bigger companies that are turning 50, 60, 70, 80 million, 90 million pound turnover companies that I know from knowledge of the industry are having conversations about what we're doing, which, you know, it's got to be a compliment. But the, folk, the business is focused on not just its customers, but also its its people looking after those customers. And since the start of the business, we created um, the Guru DNA, which is a which which is an internal internal. You know, includes different things like pride, accountability, work ethic, family, all these things that we that we as a company hold you know most dear to us. Um, and because of that, we've got the best people in the industry. Um, fighting the cause every single day, looking after fantastic customers that that love what we do, and it's, it's and the exciting part is it's just the start of the journey. You know, we're, we're two and a half years in. You know, in five years we will be a different business to what we are now, but we absolutely will be the same personable, DNA focused, customer focused, people orientated company that we are today. And the day that changes is the day that the doors need to shut. But that day won't ever, ever, ever be, uh, ever be happening, really. And that day, you know, that we do shut the doors is, is, is years and years to come. And I hope it never comes. So that hopefully will give you a bit of an indication of what we're doing and, and hopefully answers your question, Jono, in particular, in terms of you reaching out to me recently about that. And, and also just off the back of that, in terms of what we're talking about storytelling, you know, that, that's a very, very brief, you know, uh, story about what Guru do, how we operate. You know, it scratches the surface, and it doesn't cover. There's a few things that that probably I've missed out there, just thinking off the top of my head. But in the importance of storytelling for a business, you know, for me to go into a meeting and pitch what we do is really, really easy, and to pitch it with passion is really, really easy because we've got countless, we've got hundreds of customers that we serve really, really well, that are really, really happy with us. We've got staff members that are happy and progressing in their own lives and are are comfortable and happy with what they're doing. To go into a customer, a new client, and pitch Guru and what we do and what difference we can make and to enable that customer to get excited about our journey is really, really powerful. And every single customer that we onboard is a customer closer to pushing and revolutionizing this industry. And for this industry not to be looked at full of cowboys, but to be looked at as reputable, personable, agile, flexible companies that are there to support other businesses in the UK. So the next part in the notes that I wrote down here is how to deal with severe rejection. It's a really, really interesting topic. And it's a topic that I know a lot about in loads of different elements, really. Um, and it's come about because a chap called Dave, again, that I've known for a while, actually reached out to me uh, recently and, and um, talked to me about his experience of starting his business and, you know, business on the side for him and, and how it's going and, you know, how really to cope with rejection and periods where you're not really selling anything. And I think when I look back to sort of my experiences, working and doing cold calling, in my early days and doing door knocking for a year and a half in all weathers and all hours, six days a week. I think in those two jobs and those two experiences probably gave me more experience of rejection than I would probably then learn about over the coming five, six years in that, in that couple of year period. I think people look at not just sales, but people look at things like cold calling and door knocking and they think, 
you know, th- these guys are scumbags. These, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a shit job. Why would you do that? Um, and, and, you know, you open a door, somebody's standing there and all, all most of the time you want to do is shut the door politely, hopefully, and say, look, I'm just not interested in whatever you've got to say and whatever you've got to sell. I want to go and have my dinner or I need to go and work or I want to go and spend time, you know, with my family. Um, when you get a cold call, you know, 90% of the time, the first thing you think of is I just want to get them off the phone. I want to get rid of it. So the amount of rejection you would get, and just to give you a bit of an example, you know, I was dialing and making about probably 300 calls, 400 calls a day when I, when I worked doing cold calling in a call center. Um, and also it wasn't B2B, um, wasn't business to business, which you'd, you'd like to think you get a bit more of a professional no when you get a no. It was B2C, so business to consumer. We're calling households anywhere between half eight, nine in the morning and, you know, half past nine, ten at night. So you can imagine the reception you're going to get if you wanted to, you, you're ringing people up in their own time at half nine at night trying to talk about a product that they probably don't even need or want. So, you know, and, and you'd, you'd, you'd probably think out of those 300 people that you dial, you know, 290 of them are just not interested. 10, you know, five, 10 people may be interested. They might move on to the next stage and you might qualify them and you might be able to book an appointment or you might be able to sell something. But the lion's share are just not interested or, or they don't want to listen to you. And out of those sort of 290, I would say there's probably at least 20 or 30 a day that will probably get abusive, t- tell you to fuck off, that tell you to leave me alone, never call me again and all this sort of stuff that you, that you get. If I take that stage further and I think back to my time doing door to door, even though we were promoting charities and we were, we, were, we were getting people to sign up for direct debits for charities, you know, you would go and probably knock on a couple of hundred calls of da- uh, doors a day. And the ratios are very, very much very similar. You might get six, 10 people interested if you're, if you're any good. But, you know, the amount of people that you'd get that would face to face, I don't think there's any rejection in a sales capacity or a service capacity that you can get that's, that's harder to take than knocking on a door at nine at night when you've probably had the rain coming down on you all day you haven't eaten anything you want to go home you're behind your target but you can't go home yet because you need to get another couple of signups it's 100 percent commission most of the time so if you don't get the sign up you don't get paid anything and you're knocking on doors at a time where you know that's not going to be well received and if you open a door you're freezing cold they open a door you feel the warmth you can smell the food and all you want to do is go home and all you want to do is give up. And then to have somebody face to face that's less than a meter away from you say, piss off and get off my drive. I'm not interested. Leave me alone. And the door slams. That walk off the drive is tough. And it's that that, re- that rejection is, is hard. So I think, firstly, I'd like to table something, which is the stigma for cold callers and door knockers. You know, anyone listens to this podcast. I don't have it has a stigma, but it's a difficult job. It's a hard job. So if anybody knocks on your door, you don't know how long that person's been outside, you know, be nice to them, offer them a drink, but you don't have to buy anything, but just just be nice. If you're going to say no, there's a way of saying no. So that's all I would say about that is from many experiences where it hasn't been very good for me. You know, if you're going to say no, just say no quickly and say say no nicely and 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 and, and move on. Um the one that there's many things though from that period that I gained, and I think some of the some of my best skills that I have now came from those times. Valuable skills that I learned that I would never have learned at that time if I wasn't doing that. If I didn't commit and stay doing those jobs, um, I just wouldn't have learned. You know, coping with the rejection. When you're working door to door on the phone, you build up an armor. You build a fake armor. And you become numb to the negatives. You become numb to the rejection, which means that when it happens, it doesn't have much of an effect on you. It's a bit like getting getting shot with a gun. If you're wearing a metal armor, you might hurt you for a second and, it, and then the bullet bounces off. If you're not wearing the armor, you, you know, it's going to hurt a lot more and you might die and you, you, might, you might bleed to death or whatever. So it, having that experience of continuously going through the rejection builds you a suit of armor and it makes you bulletproof and then actually when something negative happens you don't take it to heart you shrug it off the bullet flies off and you just get on with it it also taught me really really valuable communication skills if you can imagine knocking on 300 doors a day the difference of the person that you knock door one, door two, door three, door 300, different times of the day, different individuals, um, different types of individuals, different age, different background. 
different areas, just, you know, completely different walks of life, potentially. Um, like you could go from a, a, a one area to another and get a completely different individual when they, when they open the door. So the, the ability to communicate with different people was, was amazing. And to get the opportunity to do that 300 times a day, you know, that's only going to do somebody good. But obviously going through that is difficult with the, with the rejections. But, you know, I think that, that that communication element of that particular job was, was vital. Working as a team, you know, things get hard. You, you rely on other people. You rely on yourself to keep you motivated, but you also rely on, on, on your team, people that are working with you to kind of buzz you up and get you going. Being able to rapport build with different people. You know, I like to think one of my strengths is that I can get on with probably 99% of people in, that I ever meet and genuinely get on with them as well, not in a, in a, in a fake way, genuinely see some synergy and genuinely get on and like, like talking to them. I think that's, that has specifically come from this. And also more importantly, probably than any of that is the ability to listen, the ability to ask a question and listen to an answer, gauge a response and ask another question and just, and just listen, 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 and learn, learn, learn. So I think going back to the start of this topic, I suppose, dealing with that rejection, I am very, very well placed to advise on dealing with rejection. And that's just two examples of some of the work that I've done in the past. But what's really, really helped me is to look at rejection in a certain way. If you look at rejection as something that's really, really tough to deal with, and your mindset is that when I get rejected, that it's personal and it's hard to deal with and it's going to stay with me forever, then you will, you know, you won't ever develop that bulletproof armor to, to move to the next door, to make the next call or to put yourself out there, whatever, in whatever way it is. The way I've always looked at rejection is I'll turn rejection into a game and I'll give you an example. When I was door knocking, I know I would get a few people every single day that told me to piss off. So one of the girls that I used to door knock with used to say to me, I've been told to F off, I've been told to bugger off, you know, and you could see their demeanor just diminish, you know, the confidence just just was draining from their face and their persona and their body. And I, and I used to turn rejection into a bit of a game. So rather than me going out and targeting myself to sign up 10 people, my target for the day, and I'd write it on the back of my notepad would be to get 10 people to tell me to piss off. That would be my target. So subconsciously, my mindset I'll go and sell the deals anyway. I'll go and sign people up anyway because I felt that I was confident and good at what I did and I can talk to people well. So I knew achieving a target was a byproduct of just knocking the door. But along the way, I either drag my negativity away or, or along with me in terms of my rejections and, 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 and situations or I use it to my advantage and flip it. So I decided very early in the game to flip that uh, negativity. So every single time I got someone that told me to F off or, or, or bugger off or that was offensive to me, I would tick that off the back of my sheet and I would have one to 10 on the back of that notepad every single day. And my goal wasn't to sign up 10 people. My goal wasn't to knock that many doors. My, my goal in that day, perversely, was to get 10 people to tell me to bugger off. That was my goal. So when I got one, I walked off thinking, great, one more close to the target, tick, onto the next door, onto the next call. So I think dealing with that rejection, a lot of the time is about mindset and how you understand what actual rejection is. And I think if you can look at rejection and flip it, and actually have some fun with it, I think it, it makes it less hard to take and actually can motivate you. I also think people take it really, really personally when people reject them and when people say no to things. Most of the time, it's not personal. It's just that they don't want to do it or they're not interested in something or they haven't got the time. It's never, I would say, never personal. And I think that sometimes you can take it personally because you're, emotion, you're emotional because you've been knocking all day. You're tired. You're exhausted. You, you haven't had any food or whatever it is, or you haven't sold anything in a while or whatever, or, or whatever the situation is, but it's not personal. It's the same as if you go on a date. If someone's not interested, they're not interested. It's not personal. It's just, they don't find you interesting enough. They're not interested in your chat or they don't find you attractive. It doesn't mean that somebody else isn't going to find you attractive. It doesn't mean you're not attractive. It doesn't mean you're not an interesting person, but that particular individual didn't tick the box. You didn't tick the box for them. So don't take it personally, just move on. Go and find somebody else. And there's a person out there for everybody. And it's the same with your personal life, with things like dating. It's the same with sales. You know, 
just because one person doesn't 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 go for it doesn't mean that 10 other people next won't go for it and i think it's just about that that overthinking i think people tend to overthink and take rejection personally so i think going off the back of the first point about being bulletproof and turning that rejection i think you just need to not care as much and when somebody rejects you you know maybe you can learn something maybe you can do something differently next time but most of the time it's not personal so just shrug it off move on and just go again i also think that when you look at rejection rejection for me is an opportunity it's an opportunity to learn it's an opportunity to change something it's not it's an experience it's a lesson and it's an opportunity for me to top up my bulletproof armor so actually when i get rejected i can't remember the last time that i lost out on a deal or i had an offer uh, rejected or I spoke to somebody that didn't want to do something or whatever it was that was that was some sort of negativity and rejection in my life personally and professionally i can't remember the first time that i didn't just shrug it off and move on and use it as a positive and think okay that puts me closer to something good that's going to happen or actually i've learned something from that and maybe maybe i can change something next time and i can be a better person for it and a better individual for it so i think you just need to look at look at rejection and, and focus on the end game and when you actually look at people that are that are successful people that are in the in the public eye you look at beyonce for example she went on star search in 1993 and got told no yet she was part of the biggest girl band on the earth and she's uber uber successful you look at steve jobs he got fired from his own company you know, he, that guy changed that that guy with Apple changed the game, changed the world across all of technology. But he got fired from his own company. That's got to be pretty severe rejection. But he kept going. You know, Walt Disney. He got told that the mouse wouldn't work. Well, we all know what happened there. You know, Oprah got told that she wasn't fit for TV. Elvis got fired after his first performance. Steven Spielberg got rejected from film school for three times, and he's probably one of the most successful film producers anywhere anytime so you look at what rejection is you've got to look at rejection and flip it up and, and in my opinion i think just to go back onto those three main points is you know turn rejection on its head have a mentality change see it as a learning curve and experience and an opportunity don't overthink it because it isn't personal and if you can do those things you'll probably find 20 30 percent more energy time and effort to go into filling those spots where you might not be selling and actually, a lot of the reason why people don't sell is because of the mentality of that individual. It's because they've given up. It's because they're, they're not bulletproof. It's because they're not being positive. And what you'll find when you flip that mentality and mindset, you'll find that good things start to happen. And that's not luck. That's just because you're doing the right thing. And mentally, you're in the right place to push things forward. And you're doing a better job for yourself personally and a better job for your company. So the next element I had written down was you need to be a clown. So I'm not looking for a career change, don't worry. And I'm not a very good juggler. I can't juggle more than two things for about more than 20 seconds. So, you know, it's not about that. But when I say about being a clown, it's about juggling life. Somebody told me a couple of weeks ago, somebody had a conversation and said, you do so much stuff. You know, how do you, how do you, what is your work-life balance? How do you, how do you make that work? And I thought it was quite interesting because my viewpoint, are, my, my view on work-life balance and stuff like that's massively changed over the last five years to what it was maybe 10, 15 years ago. Um, I don't think, in my opinion, you know, people might disagree, but in my opinion, I don't really think work-life balance actually exists. It's just life with a section of choices and priorities that change and interweave consistently. Um, and I look at my life and I think, well, I've got family, I've got kids, I've got friends, I've got a dog, I've got hobbies, I play football, I work out, I've got my health, I've got my own time that I need to have, I work, I work long, I work hard, um, and I've got multiple work interests, I've got people that I need that I need and want to spend time with, my kids have got clubs, I've got school runs to do, and when you look at it and you think, that's quite a lot of stuff, so I don't think... You know, and all those things interweave with each other. So just as a quick point on, on, on juggling things and that kind of work-life balance, it's important to get it right, but I don't think you should put too much pressure on it. I don't think you'll ever get it 100% right because it changes every single day, every week, every month, every year. Priorities change, lives change, things come up, and you just got to deal with it and just run with, roll with the punches. And I think looking at it as a work-life balance is putting structure into something that is impossible to structure. You know, if you run your own business or you're starting your own company, 
or you're working on your own or you're, or you're a decent level of a business where you've got an, you know, a decent level of responsibility, you know, work doesn't finish at five, you know, work doesn't start at nine. You know, most people that are doing those things, you know, if you're working for a big corporate and you're happy with doing that, then that's fine. But if you're working for a big corporate and your job is nine to five, then fair enough. But if you're if you're looking to embark on starting a business, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're you're running a small to medium organization, you will all know that nine to five means nothing. You know, it means it doesn't exist. That's just what life that's the constructs that have been created from history of work telling you that a job is nine to five and a job is Monday to Friday. And I think when you look at that, you don't compartmentalize your life in the same way. And the way that I look at my life, um, I don't have a work-life balance because that puts pressure on things that I'm not in control of and that will change all the time. So, And that's not going to do me any good. I'm not going to put extra pressure on myself on things that I can't control. So I think people should start beating, stop beating themselves up on a work-life balance and stop feeling guilty for working too much and stop feeling guilty for spending too much time at home and not working enough. I think people need to look at things in a flexible, agile way and look at your life. It's not work-life balance. It's just your life. And those, and that life is filled with choices and priorities. And sometimes you'll make the right choices and sometimes you'll prioritize the right things and sometimes you won't. But those, those decisions are made. You roll with it, you run with it, you get on with it, you learn, you move forward and you maybe make a different decision next time you have the chance. But what you don't do is put extra pressure on yourself to split these things up. In my opinion... It just needs to be one thing. And these things just intertwine. Some days they'll intertwine more. So some days you'll work longer. Some days you'll be at home for longer. Some days you'll spend time here. Sometimes you'll spend times there. There'll be occasions you put your laptop on in the evening at the weekend. There'll be occasions where you won't put it on at all. And that's just the way it is. So when we're talking about choices and priorities, the ways that have really, really helped me organize myself, because my life is pretty hectic my own fault because that's the choices I make and I like it and I don't want it any other way or else I go stir crazy I'm not the type of guy that wants to lay in until 10 at 10 in the morning three days a week because that wouldn't be good for my own my own mental well-being it's not it's not where I'm comfortable I want to be active I want my mind to be alive so the ways that I've helped I've wrote a few things down here which people may be able to use in terms of helping people prioritize and helping people choose different things so the first thing on here is time scales. So as much as you want to have some flexibility within that flexible construct of what your life is, you need to have some sort of cutoff points with different things, time scales. So I think I mentioned in the previous podcast, I've started to do this now um, in my working life. You know, if I go into a meeting, I'll be very, very clear at the start of the meeting. First thing I'll say is nice to meet you. I've got an hour, I've got a hard finish in an hour. Have we got enough time to get this done in an hour? And what that enables people to do is to, Fast track things, less chit chat, more information, more direction, and we can get things get get more things done. And I think you need to be really ruthless with time scales for different things. You know, if you're even even in your personal life, if you're going to see a friend, and you want to get that 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 life balance right. If you're going to see your friend, you know, you don't have to have a hard stop. You know, at the start of when you see your friend at the pub and say, "I need to be gone in an hour." But in, in your mind, you know, is there other things that you could be doing? Is there different things that you could be doing after this after this meeting with a, with a friend? Am I going somewhere else? Can I utilize my time elsewhere as well? And you can get a bit more of a better mix. But in your own head, if you don't have a stopping point in your own head for things, whether it be meetings or seeing people or different things that are going on, you're leaving absolutely everything to chance. And nine times out of ten, you just won't be as effective. And when you're not as effective, you'll miss things. You'll lose doing things, you'll lose track of things, and that adds to stress, that adds to you having a you know poor mental well-being, and it adds to the anxiety that is already a very, very complicated and and uh, you know complicated and fast-track life. I think one of the biggest elements that enables me to have the right choices and priorities in my life is saying no. And it's something that I've not been very good at. Um, up until probably a couple of years ago, which I was kind of forced to do stuff, given that given the amount of work that we had going on, setting up the businesses and stuff like that with what was going on. But saying no is hard because I like to say yes to people because I like to help people. But actually saying yes sometimes doesn't help. 
And it certainly doesn't help me sometimes when I'm prioritizing doing things. And all you end up doing is saying yes to everybody and then letting people down when you, when you don't deliver things. And that doesn't make me feel very good at all. I don't have a habit of not delivering on things. So most of the time, what I'll do is exhaust myself out by making sure I'm, I'm keeping to all my commitments. So I think an, a large area of, of, of helping people prioritize and for me personally, the right choices is saying no. Say no to people. You know what? They're not going to, you're not going to upset anybody for it. You know, not everybody says yes to everything. And actually it's quite refreshing when you say no, because you can get some time back and you can spend time doing what you want to do rather than what other people want you to do. And then it puts it, you know, puts it in your, your, your priorities then. I think also with things that you're doing in your day and your week and your month, we talked about priorities. How many people actually set what the priorities are? Now, at the, at the the last two days of every month, I will write a list um, for the business and for me personally. And I'm actually going to turn to this list now so I can give you exactly what I do. And this, this, by the way, is an absolute game changer for me. I've been doing it for about six or seven years, maybe more. And it's an absolute game changer. So I'm looking at a double page spread in my notepad at the moment, which is at my October action list. And what it enables me to do is understand things that I need to do and also enables me to prioritize. So I've got different sections. I've got a general section. I've got a people section. I've got a brand section. I've got a marketing section, a finance section, an IT systems and tech section, and a home and personal life section. And just to give you some indication on some of these things that are in here, um, you know, home and personal life, for example, could be, you know, once a month, I always go and visit the graves of my friends and family that have died because... I feel it's important for me to remember them. I want to be there regularly because it's important to me. And when I don't go, it makes me feel bad. It makes me feel negative and it makes me feel upset. And when I go, it enables me to talk. It enables me to let things off my chest and it makes me feel good. So if I don't do that, that's going to make me feel worse. So I want to make sure that's on a list that I'm going to go and do. You know, other things that are in there that are maybe more, uh, you know, business focused. Finance, for example, cost-based reduction exercises, you know, you've got different things in there around that because that's important for the business to make sure it's managing its money properly. Marketing, what are we doing on marketing for this week and this month? What campaigns are we running? What is social media doing? Where are we going to focus our attention? And there's probably, I would say, just not to take too long and add it up, but I would probably say it's probably 50 to 60 different actions across all of these different areas. What I'll then do is I'll color code those areas into long-term priorities, medium-term, short-term, and stuff that I'm working on right now. So what that enables me to do, going back to the original point of prioritization in your life, is this, this list covers my personal and, and business life, because for me, it's just a life, like I said. And what this enables me to do is prioritize things that are important. And what I'll then do is trans transfer some of these things into my into my diary for the day or for the week. And that enables me to not only prioritize, but ensure that that falls within my organization process to actually get things done. So for example, with that point around going to the, the graves of, of some of my friends that, that, that died a few years ago, you know, that, that takes a couple of hours. Well, that will drop into my diary at some point in a monthly cycle. You know, within that home and personal section, there's also things in here as well, like gym routines, ordering my food for the for the month, my healthy food for the month, stuff that makes me feel good and makes me feel better, that will be in my monthly list. It will be a short-term priority. And because it's a short-term priority, I'll be looking at that every week, at least once or twice. And that will then, that will factor and be transferred over into my diary at some point. And then I'll get it done. And then it'll be ticked and highlighted off. And then it will come back up next month. So a day two, one or two days before the start of the following month, I will re rewrite my action list for that particular month. Yeah. So it means I'm organized. I'm comfortable. I'm not going to forget anything, which makes me confident. It makes me feel good because everything's in one place. And it means that I can prioritize things into working short, medium and long term in work and out of work. So that's really, really worked for me. So I would have, you know, however big or small that list is, just because my list got a lot of stuff on it, your, your list might have 10 things on it, but those 10 things might be really important to you. So I definitely, you know, definitely say try that and see how you get on. And, and like I said, if you want any support, on how to put that together. Just give me a call. Reach out to me on social media. Reach out on my mobile number. Keep giving people it. Just give me a call and I'll help you for, 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 for half an hour and we'll set your priorities and we'll set how that would work for you. Also, things that help me prioritize and some of the choices that I make are things like putting my health and well-being first. So if I've got things in my diary like 
working out or the gym or eating healthily or ordering my healthy food for the for the month for example or spending time with my girlfriend or spending time with my kids or spending time with my family um, i've made a big effort over the last two two three three months to do a much better job doing that because i didn't feel that i was particularly good at it and the balance wasn't quite right for me so now i've involved the personal stuff within my process of of organization it means i never forget it and it means that it always gets done. And it's meant that I've spent some great times with my family, friends, girlfriend, kids, some time for myself doing things to have some one-on-one time for me. I've done that more in the last last probably three to six months than I've done in the last five or six years. So, you know, back to the point, I would definitely, um, definitely focus on your health and well-being first. Saying no to people and being ruthless around that point and having a plan and a set of priorities and timescales that you can utilize. Maybe it's a list, maybe it's a diary, maybe it's both, but doing that. And in doing that, you'll find that you'll get more control over your life and your life will become a life full of choices and priorities. It won't become a work life, which is stressful and conflicting. It will just become one life. One of the last points I just wanted to finish on is really, really short. And, um, you know, seeing as we've been just been talking about life balances and family and different things, uh, I've just wrote down important things in life. And um, what I want to talk about, I want to read you a poem. Freddie is my son. He's um, eight years old now, recently, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And he's a, he's a, he's a brilliant little lad. And watching him grow up is is fantastic. You know, I'm so proud of him and, and, and some of the things that he's doing. And he's he's just gone into a new year. His old yearbooks got sent home a few weeks ago. And I started reading through all these old yearbooks and all these old books. And I came to the religious education book and I, t- and I opened the book and I was looking through some things and there was some pictures and some text and some writing. And there was one page that I've taken a photo of that I'm reading, that I'm going to read from in a minute. And, um, and I'm going to tell you why afterwards. And basically, they got set a task to, if they could talk to God and recreate the world, what what would they want and how would that, how would they want people to live? And they, he had to write his answer in a in a, a poem format. And what he was, you know, he, he was talking about things that he was thankful for. So I'm just going to read you this and then I'm going to talk about it afterwards. So, dear God, I hope you protect us and make us choose the right choices. Thank you for creating us and the whole world. Make more people and make more animals. Help the world by making people more kind and more helpful and make it more peaceful. Make more food for people that haven't got any and make more books to read. Amen. So I read that and I'll be honest, I cried a bit. Reason reason for it is it's nothing about the grammar. It's not about his handwriting or anything. It's just about some of the simple things that he's wrote in that very, very short poem that he probably doesn't even comprehend at his age. Um, talking about, you know, being kind and being helpful and creating food for people and reading books and being thankful and making more people. I just think that when you actually look at what is important, it made me think, when you think about what is actually important in life, and what kids bring to the table for you is, and both my children, both Faith and Freddie do this, they don't know they even do it, is kids simplify things. Kids ask questions and simplify things. And some some ideas that we've had for the business and some things that I've done personally have come because my kids have said, why don't you just do that, Dad? Or why don't you just change that, Dad? Or why doesn't it look like that? Or why don't you just operate like this? And they have no idea around the business, my life, you know, work, you know, my daughter's 16 in a couple of weeks, my son's eight, you know, they're not there yet. They're growing up way too quick, but, and they don't have that life experience, but sometimes kids simplify things in a way that just dumbs things down so simple that it has to work and it has to be right. Um, And actually, when you think about some of the things that he's mentioned there, you know, about choices, picking the right choices, creating a world with with better people and more animals and helping people and being kind and helpful and peaceful and more food for people and more books to read to learn you know i'm very proud that my son has already starting to develop foundations of beliefs associated with things that are genuinely important in life and i think for me i'm looking at that and thinking you know, he wants to read, he wants more books for people to read. 
You know, already he's understanding the benefit of reading and learning and taking in information. Even if it's subconsciously, he's still understanding these things. Um, make more food for people, you know, generosity, um, animals, people, you know, choices. You know, all the things that we've just spoken about today around different choices, around work and personal lives and balances and things like that. I just think that that, that little poem, that 20 second poem was just absolutely bang on. And I just wanted to talk about that because I'm, I'm super proud of it. Um, and the, the point on from that is that, you know, kids do really simplify things. So sometimes if you're really, really in the shit and you don't know what to do, ask a kid, see what happens. You know, you'd be surprised. And lastly, before I go, guys, um, I wanted to just give you a bit of information about what's happened with the next podcast. So um, next podcast is going to not just be me. There's going to be somebody else on it. Hey, I hear you say, um, but no, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be the best podcast that we've done. Um, I'm not going to give you too much information, but the individual that we've got coming onto the podcast has gone from, gone from nothing to something in a very short space of time is super successful in his personal and his business life. And you absolutely need to listen to that journey. You need to tune in. You know, I spent half an hour, 40 minutes with him the other day. I've known him for a long time and, you know, I, I've known him for 17 years and I, I wrote three, four pages of notes from being with him for half an hour. You know, super inspirational. His story is absolutely fantastic and you you, you need to tune in. So I'm not going to give you too many details, but I wanted to let you know that the next pod is going to be slightly different. It's going to be a dual, a dual effort um, and that you absolutely don't want to miss it. But before I go, thank you for all the shares and the follows and the reach out, reach outs over the last couple of weeks. Social media has gone mental. It's gone, it's gone, you know, it's gone crazy, which is great. So thank you very much for that. It's, it's great to have you guys interacting and making this, this interactive. And like I said, the original reason starting these podcasts was primarily for me. It's counseling and therapy with things that I find really, really difficult and, and, and coming onto these podcasts and feeling a sense of relief when they're finished, not relief because they're done, but relief because I'm happy that I've talked about things in a certain way, in an honest way, whether it's good or bad is 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 really really refreshing so I, I really genuinely from the bottom of my heart appreciate every single person that shares and likes the status passes the pod around and everybody that listens to the podcast and feeds me back so thank you very much for that um please keep reaching out to me every single person that reaches out to me via whatsapp phone calls emails social media i will absolutely 100 percent respond whether it's a call or a message I want to speak to people. I want to learn more from you. I want to be able to bring more of that information onto the podcast. And I want to make this more informative for me and for everybody else listening as well. So thank you. Thank you very much. Have a good one. And I'll see you soon.